Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. The thing that everybody knows about Beatrix Potter, I suppose, is that she was a lonely child and that she didn't have any friends. But she had friends in the form of animals. Beatrix Potter wrote dozens of books, including The Tale of Peter Rabbit. And her books have sold more than 250 million copies. She was born in London 157 years ago. And apart from her younger brother, she didn't have a lot of friends. When she was five years old, she began to assemble a collection of pets. She definitely, she definitely connected with animals more than people. Two lizards she named Toby and Judy. A frog she named Punch. A snail she named Old Bill. She was, by all accounts, was gifted at taming animals very quickly. She could, taming like mice? Yes, taming mice, toads, hedgehogs. Her brother Bertram had a pet bat that they looked after. Um, rats, pet rats, and of course rabbits. So she would buy the rabbits from pet shops. Um, but there's an amazing story of her on holiday in Scotland um, where they would go for these long summer holidays with her family. And she just sort of tamed a toad she went out sat next to it sat there silent and still for hours until the animals would just get used to her and then she could start holding them and feeding them and then she would put them in a box and bring them home she would draw them she would sketch them she'd give them names so hunker munker who's in the tale of two bad mice is based on a real mouse that she had as a pet tiggy winkle was based on a hedgehog that she had as a child and she would carry them around in little wooden boxes (laughs) and her parents were okay with it well it's not clear whether her parents knew about it when Beatrix Potter was eight she began making detailed notes about insects what they ate where to find different kinds she started drawing rabbits sometimes they wore clothes some wore glasses But she wasn't sentimental about animals, and she wasn't squeamish. When her pets died, they were stripped of their fur, boiled, and put back together as skeletons. 
Sometimes she put glass eyeballs in them. She collected the skeletons and put them in what she called our little bone cupboards. She studied lichen and fossils and shells. She watched fishermen catch crabs. When she got older, she got a microscope and started studying insects under it and then drawing them. But when her parents arranged for her to take formal art lessons, she was uncomfortable, writing in her diary, It is tiresome to be taught in a way you dislike and have to swallow your feelings. She described feeling out of place in social settings, writing, I feel like a cow in a drawing room. One day when she was 17 in 1893, she wrote a letter to the young son of her former governess. The letter read, I don't know what to write to you, so I shall tell you a story about four little rabbits whose names were Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. She kept writing stories and letters until someone suggested she try to make them into little books. If they were going to be made into books, she wanted them to be cheap and very small for small hands. Prospective publishers didn't like that. So she self-published her first book in 1901, The Tale of Peter Rabbit. She was 35. The next year, a publishing company called Frederick Warren & Co. put out a version. She managed to capture life in her drawings, the life of animals uh, that was just so immediately popular. What are, what is kind of the if you had to break down the plots of of her books? What are what what is happening in them? I mean, it's a it's animals in jackets. Yeah. And you know, acting. And they're not happy about the jackets normally. And they're acting kind of like humans, mm. and then they get into trouble. Yeah. They really act, they act like children. Peter Rabbit, anyway, certainly, and Squirrel Nutkin. So often these characters are slightly rebellious. And, yeah, they wear jackets, but often the jackets are constrictive, annoying. So Tom Kitten, who's one of my favourites, is forced into this beautiful little blue suit, but he pops all the buttons immediately, climbs up a wall and gets it all mucky. Um, Peter Rabbit loses his jacket when he's chased by Mr. McGregor in the garden. So there's a sense that the animals are like very gently rebelling against the constraints. They're like mischievous children. They don't mean any harm, but they're just being themselves. And nothing that bad ever happens. There's a lot of peril and there's a lot of threat. But in the end, they scrape through. But the other thing is that she wasn't a moralistic writer. There wasn't a kind of... The animal characters weren't taught a lesson. They didn't really learn anything, which I think is quite liberating, especially for that time that Victorian children's literature was just full of children dying and learning their lesson a very hard way. But there was such a freedom in Beatrix's books. Her editor was a man named Norman Warne, She wrote to him about her career, saying, It is pleasant to feel I could earn my own living. Beatrix Potter and Norman Warren got closer. And then Norman Warren proposed to her by mail. She accepted. But then Norman Warren died a month later unexpectedly from lymphatic leukemia. Almost immediately, Beatrix Potter took the money she'd earned writing books— 
and bought herself some land. 34 acres and a farmhouse in England's Lake District. Here I go to be quiet, she wrote. This is me, the deepest me, the part one has to be alone with. We decided to go see her land and her world for ourselves. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. My name is Alice Sage, and we are in the hall of Hilltop, Beatrix Potter's house in the Lake District. The Lake District is a national park in northwest England. It's rural, with mountains and lakes. Hilltop is small, and it's very dark and very cold. The oldest parts of the house were built in the 1660s. Beatrix Potter bought this farmhouse in 1905, and she built an extension on the side, an extension on the back, so she could retain this historic heart of the house here, pretty much untouched, and she filled it with all this um, antique Lake District furniture, so really old, dark oak furniture, brass um, ornaments, lots of brown ceramics and slipware, and then a dresser full of blue and white china. And what's so special about these rooms in particular is this is, um, these are the rooms that she painted and sketched time and time and time again and included them in the illustrations for her little books. Um, so is this one of the rooms? Yeah, so this is the tale of Samuel Whiskers. So this is one of the first books that she wrote when she bought Hilltop. She'd already written Peter Rabbit and Squirrel Nutkin. Um, and then when she bought this house, it was completely infested with rats. And one of the first stories she wrote after she bought this place was the tale of Samuel Whiskers, and she dedicated it to her pet rat, Sammy. And it's all set all through the house and the adventures of Tom Kitten climbing up through all the, the hidden nooks and crannies, up through the cupboards, and eventually falling into a rat's nest, which was in that cupboard there. And what is a rat's nest? Just his his lair, I suppose. Like his... Where, so it's where, where he Samuel sleeps. Whiskers lives, yeah, with his wife, Anna Maria. Okay. And they capture Tom Kitten and tie him up in string and wrap him in pastry, and they're going to turn him into a roly-poly pudding. And that happened right here, in that cupboard. She she doesn't shy away from talking about, like, cooking animals. No, she's very realistic about animal characters. And although, obviously, they're anthropomorphised, they retain the spirit of the animal. So this house is like a weird layer of the reality of what it was like to live here, and then this fantasy layer of her illustrations, and that that sense that you're walking through a storybook, but it was also a real place that she lived. I feel like it's like walking through a doll's house where everything's sort of real, but sort of fantasy at the same time. We'll be right back. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. 
Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also don't need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash thisislove. Just go to Indeed.com slash thisislove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash thisislove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, And their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When we visited Beatrix Potter's house in the Lake District, curator Alice Sage showed us all the places in and around the house that Beatrix Potter had drawn in her books. This is the vegetable patch just in that kitchen garden there with the walls, with the green gate. And just behind that wall, I'll take you out there in a minute, is where Jemima Puddleduck laid her eggs in the rhubarb patch. Um, so there's reminders of the stories everywhere. What's this little this, room? This is called the treasure room. And Beatrix called it the treasure room because it was where she put all her little treasures and all the most precious things. So there's a display case here full of tiny figurines from her books tiny miniature pots and pans from dolls' houses. And the dolls' house here is filled with objects that she painted for the story of uh, The Tale of Two Bad Mice, which is Hunker Munker and Tom Thumb breaking into a doll's house and causing chaos. And she kept all of those little um, bits and pieces were a present from her fiancé, Norman Warren, and they worked together on that book and she she asked him to buy her doll's house furniture and food in order for her to paint them. And so he sent them to her. And then Beatrix held on to these little these little doll's house things, kept them in, in a box. And it was only after her own mother died in the 1930s that she actually bought this doll's house and then put the doll's house furniture out for display. So... I kind of feel, I feel like she, she kept them hidden for a really long time and then put them out again. So it's, it's just these threads of her stories and her family 
that run all the way through. And this this house is like a material memoir of her life and her stories and how they entwine. Alice Sage says that at first, the locals didn't know what to make of her. So when she first bought Hilltop, she wrote in a letter that her purchase was a joke, that people were laughing at her. And that was really because she paid double what it was worth. A few months before, um, another farmer had, had bought it and then literally doubled the price and sold it to Beatrix Potter, and everybody would have known that. So I think she spent a long time feeling a bit, a bit exposed, and she wanted to prove that she wasn't, she wasn't just some ignorant Londoner. As the years passed, she got more and more interested in learning how to be a farmer. And in particular, she was very interested in a certain kind of sheep. I think it's so beautiful to walk up that hill because that's where she kept her very prized sheep was on that hill. They were Herdwick sheep, a special breed that basically only exists right here in the Lake District. And it's an ancient breed and it's a very hardy, grey sheep. They're, they're very different looking from the usual sheep you see in the British countryside. They're much um, stockier. They've got short little legs, stocky little feet, very um, fluffy grey coats, and a face which is its like they're always smiling. Really distinctive. People say that what makes Herdwick sheep so unusual is that they know where they're from and remember where they were born. They remember the place that they weaned and they first uh, lived. So, I mean, I've heard of people that, that take Herdwicks to Scotland and they never stop escaping from their fields trying to return to the place that they were born. So you can he really hear the dogs. I know. That's okay. They'll quiet down. They will when we go inside. Oh, yeah. How many are there? Sound like there's two. a lot. That's only two dogs? Yeah. I'll just go and look at these cows for one second. Look at all these baby sheep. Beatrix Potter said she never felt lonely at Hilltop because she could just go out walking with her sheep. She would travel around talking to farmers, learning about the breed history, buying breed books that trace different sheep back generations. And the more time she spent in the Lake District, the more passionate she became about conserving it. She got involved with the National Trust. Alice Sage says that their purpose is to look after places of beauty, nature, and history. So it's a really ambitious aim to protect the cultural heritage and landscape and coast for the people of Britain to visit and to enjoy. And built into what we do is a sense of eternity. So we're doing this forever. And Beatrix was a really early supporter of the National Trust. She was really there at the beginning, thinking about what does it mean to look after a place forever. Beatrix Potter bought a second farm, Castle Farm. Her lawyer in the transaction was a man named William Helis. 
Beatrix Potter described William Helis as dreadfully shy. Four years later, they got married. She was 47. He was 42. She described them, quote, like two horses in front of the same plow, walking so steadily beside one another. She bought a third farm, Troutbeck Park. And it was in a terrible state when she bought it. It had a thousand sheep, but they were all diseased. They'd fluke worm. All the streams were, like, full of sewage, and it was just awful. But that's what she wanted. She wanted a place where she could really make a difference. Around 1930, she bought Yew Tree Farm, where today you can visit and see the Herdwick sheep up close. It's only a few miles from Hilltop, and so we thought it would be simple to drive over. But nothing about driving in the Lake District is simple. Okay, you're too close on my side. I... <laughs> I'm too close on both sides, Lauren. <laughs> Lauren Spore and I have been working together for more than 10 years. But driving on the one-lane, very curvy, incredibly narrow roads in the Lake District, in the rain, with the driver's seat on the other side of the car, was something new. This, yes. There's some driving tape that we won't be able to air here. Oh, my God. This can't be the main road. Lauren... If another car comes, I'm just going to get out of the car and let them do what they fix where our car needs to be. You're going to get out. And just let them handle I'm not kidding. I don't know what to, I wouldn't know what to How much longer? I don't feel great about it. We eventually had to ask someone for directions. Down this road, all the way to the bottom. Okay. And you'll get a T-junction. You turn right. Okay. Head into Coniston. You go over a humpback bridge. As soon as you humpback bridge, you'll see a right-hand turn. Okay. Okay, turn right there. Okay. There'll be a, a primary school on your left. You'll get to the end of the road. You'll turn right. Okay. And that's the, that'll bring you out of this main road here, which will bring you back down to Yew Tree. You'll see the lake on your left-hand side. Yep. You keep on following it towards Coniston. You'll go over a humpback bridge. As soon as you're going over that humpback bridge, turn right. Okay. There'll be a sports field on your right yep. and a school on your left. Okay. Follow to the end of the junction, okay. turn right there, okay. and you'll be on the main road, and you okay. three up on your left-hand side, just over there. Okay, so just a lot of rights. A lot of rights, yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, you just ended up into the next valley there, so okay. as soon as you've hit that main road, yep. you tree farm will be on your left-hand side, <laughs> about there. Okay, I'm going to try to do it. Thank you, Vera. And the, the road's are just going to stay this skinny? Uh, they are. Um... It goes quite tight down there. Tighter you, than what we just yeah, came on? Yeah, but you'll be all right. It's a one-way. Oh, oh. Yeah, so it's That's the best ones I've ever heard. one way that okay. way, so <laughs> you're probably quicker going that way. Okay, yeah. we're going. Thank you very That's much. Right, a lot no of problems. rights. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you. One way, best thing I've ever heard. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit 
also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. By the time we finally got to Yew Tree Farm, it was raining. It is pouring rain. The rain meant we couldn't get into the fields to see the sheep. Farmer Joe McGrath says that a Herdwick sheep will come seek you out, sit with you, be quiet with you. And since Joe and her husband are the tenants of the farm, she gets to live here with them. She says the sheep really do know the land. They know where to go to get out of the wind, where to find water, which plants taste good, and which aren't safe to eat. Do you like, do, is this a special place to live? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't, and you don't ever become blasé to that. You don't ever stop seeing where you are, and you don't ever stop being aware either that it's not yours, and you are only actually a little tiny piece of the history of this place. She let us follow her around while she worked with some of the herdwick sheep in the barn. And we asked why the sheep look like they're smiling. While she was answering, some of the sheep were coming right up to us and sniffing my microphone. Uh, yeah, the reason why they smile is because they've got all this really, really long hair on their faces. So the actual mouth stops there. But there's this all, all this long hair just puts on this big smile line onto their face. Does it feel like they make, they're making a lot of eye contact? Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. They definitely make contact in a way that sheep don't normally. But I yeah, like you this. You sort of give them a scratch under there. Oh, he's warm. Yeah, they're really warm. <laughs> so I'd like to have his coat. Hello, Phoebe. Um, I'm sorry, I'm three minutes late. My computer was misbehaving. Well, most people don't apologize at three minutes late, so that's a good sign already. <laughs> James Rebanks is a shepherd in the Lake District and an author. His family has been on the same piece of land for three generations and in the area for at least 600 years. He thinks probably even longer. In his book, The Shepherd's Life, he writes, quote, Modern people the world over are obsessed with the importance of going somewhere 
and doing something with your life. The implication is an idea I have come to hate, that staying local and doing physical work doesn't count for much. He also writes that the real history of our landscape should be the history of the nobodies. And I didn't mean it as an insult. I meant it as a compliment. So my family and hundreds of other families like them have lived from sheep and cattle and horses and from wool and meat and from the sweat of their brows in these places. And uh, their names might be lost to history, but the beauty of the landscape that they created and the meaning of the work they did, I don't think is lost. It's still all around me every day. He says that about a thousand years ago, the Vikings came and that they brought livestock, including sheep that they bred with native British sheep. And they created the ancestors of my sheep, which hundreds of years later become get a name, which is Herdwick, which basically means the flock that belongs to the farm. It doesn't mean anything more than that. And they're an incredibly, incredibly tough sheep. They're probably the toughest mountain sheep that can live on a live outside through winter in a wet, cold place. And yeah, they're basically how my people and hundreds of other families in landscapes like this were able to survive. And every family had uh, these really ancient traditional rights to graze a certain number of these sheep on the fells near to where they lived. So there's a huge communal, the mountains are basically communally grazed uh, according to these rights. And they have we have like a sort of gathering of elders, a commoners association, which decides whether there's overgrazing on the mountain, whether there's too many sheep, and there's all these laws and culture. But I grew up in that, and I wasn't the wisest of teenagers, but I, I knew that that was good. I, I knew that I loved it, and I, I knew that I liked the people that did it. And then I was really shaken when I got to school, and it felt like the world of school and the world of books and the world of education didn't ever speak about any of that. And I hated that. And I, I bummed out of school because of that and couldn't wait to get home because I thought these people are crazy. Like, who doesn't want to be my granddad? Who doesn't want to be my dad? Who doesn't want to go on the mountain and bring the sheep down in, in summer? He says they bring the flock down eight times a year. And it, I, it doesn't matter how many times I do that. Till my dying day, it takes my breath away as I'm walking back across the mountain. The fact that my sheep, my, my exact flock of sheep genetically, have, have gone to that mountain forwards and backwards eight or ten times a year for four and a half thousand years, we think. What's, what's not to love about that? Who, who thinks they're cleverer than that? Like, what has London or New York got on that? What James Rebanks says he admires about Beatrix Potter is that she wanted to learn this culture. She listened to the shepherds. She actually gets involved. She says, oh, well, I'm, I want to do that. I want to be part of that. But when I was growing up, all of the old men could remember when they were young having met her. And many of them said they were quite scared of her. She was quite a formidable character. But I think, I think when I've read about her, that might just have been armor, like protecting herself, because she's in a very male, very northern, very rural world in which there weren't many people like her. And, and yeah, they, they talked about her like she was a little scary, but they also spoke about her with respect. I think it was, I think she was shy. Hilltop curator, Alice Sage. I think that that explains quite a lot of it, that her initial gruff manner, <laughs> that she wasn't keen on people just turning up at her front door. 
She was very, very busy. I mean, she started a career as a farm manager in her 60s. Um, so she would have been extremely busy. But she was also very kind and very generous. And there's lots of stories of her giving money to families in need, of turning up with gifts of furniture and food and medicine. She set up a district nursing association because she realised that there was no proper medical care in the villages, so she bought a cottage for the nurse, she bought a car for the nurse, and she paid the wages. How she did it was probably in a in a bit of a gruff and impatient way because that's what she was like. But she was deeply kind. What do you think that she wanted her life to be like? Was it the life that she found here? Oh, my goodness. That's it's really difficult because she never wrote about... She never wrote about her hopes. She never wrote about her future. She really... You know, in the I've read kind of every letter that we can get our hands on that she wrote, and it was really about what she was doing that day and what the sheep were doing and whether the lambs were born and what cow she wanted to buy. And it was so day-to-day. I think she lived in the moment. What's your favourite book? Oh, it changes every week. What is it today? Mm. My favourite is The Tale of Johnny Town Mouse, which is a story about Timmy Willie, who's a country mouse, and Johnny, who's a town mouse. And in that book, Beatrix is kind of her uh, her thesis on countryside living, really told through these two little mice. And, and it concludes that some people like to live in the country and some people like to live in the town. And for me, she says, I like to live in the country. And it's all about finding the place that makes you happy finding the life that makes you happy and um, not worrying that other people make different choices. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. In 1943, Beatrix Potter was elected president of the Herdwick Breeders Association. She died before she could take office. She was 77. She left almost everything to the National Trust. Fifteen farms, 4,000 acres, and all of her Herdwick sheep. Today, Peter Rabbit has sold more than 40 million copies. By some estimates, someone somewhere buys one of what she called her little books every 15 seconds. This is Love is created by Lauren Spore and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, Sam Kim, and Megan Kinane. Special thanks to Libby Foster. This episode was mixed by Veronica Simonetti. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com, and sign up for our newsletter at thisislovepodcast.com slash newsletter. If you like the show, the most important thing you could do is just tell a friend or leave us a review. 
it means a lot. You can listen to This Is Love without any ads by signing up for Criminal Plus. You'll also get to listen ad-free to our other shows, Criminal and Phoebe Reads a Mystery. Plus, you'll get bonus episodes and more. We did a live trivia game last month. I did some magic tricks. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com slash plus. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Now I've got to figure out driving. You can do it. I know. <laughs> We've come this far. I only hit one mirror. Um, but it was okay. They bounced behind Yeah. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, am I not supposed to go up this way? It's okay. It's already happening. Do I go this way? Mm-hmm. Remember, stay. Hug your left. Feel comfortable? No. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. PODCAST24.